Father, be with us tonight as we study this great psalm. We want these words to shape us and to change us. We ask that 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 be true tonight and that we leave here as a people better equipped to deal with our fears and to deal with our anxiety in this world that we live in and to do it in such a way that people are able to see uh, the power of the gospel in our lives. Thank you for inspiring David to write this psalm and for the ways that it blesses us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 3. There are some hard thoughts in this psalm, are there not? Uh, I think verse 7, Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. I think that there's probably a lot of moms who read this psalm and want to say, Now, David... You mustn't be angry. You must calm down and learn to control your temper. But David is, is angry. David is angry. And this tells you, I think, something very important about the Psalms. They are emotionally honest. The, the emotions at times are heated. The, the emotions are raw. And that's why we need to study the Psalms. The Psalms give us a unique approach to emotions. And as you know, there are basically three ways that we humans try to deal with emotions, try to deal with feelings. One is to deny them and to repress them. I, I don't do emotions, some say. And so we stuff them down. We pretend that they don't exist. We deny that they exist. And we live our life with those emotions, all of that emotional bile that we swallow it, and it takes it out on our body. A second way is just to express whatever it is you're feeling. I mean, just vent, 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 vent. And I think you know as well as I do, even though that that's something that we hear a lot in this culture, you need to vent, you need to decompress, get it off of your chest, sometimes that makes it even worse. And you take a flame and you vent it, it becomes a bigger flame. And there are lots of times when we vent those emotions, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So one way is to be sort of under aware of these emotions, that is to deny and repress it, stuff them down. And the other way is to be overawed by them, that is, you know, just sort of express them and allow whatever comes out to come out. But there's a third way, I think it's the biblical way, and that is to pray them. And this doesn't mean coming up with some kind of a formulaic way of chanting your negative emotions away but what is happening in Psalm 3 is that David is reflecting on his emotions while he is in conversation with God. He's reflecting on his emotions while he is in prayer. He's processing those emotions in the presence of God. Now the overriding emotion in this psalm, I think, is, is fear. It's a primal emotion, this fear. It's how you come into the world. And that's an emotion that you experience in the world on many occasions. In this psalm, David has some things to be afraid of. There's an army that is after him. There are members of his own family, many people that have risen up after him. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He's having to flee from, uh, from Jerusalem in the middle of the night. And he's even more fearful of what's going to happen to Absalom, his own son, who's trying to overthrow David's kingdom in a coup d'etat. And Psalm 3 is David's spiritual discovery 
and his spiritual recovery. David is praying to God about his fears. And if it helped him, I think it helps us. And I think the best way to think about this psalm is to follow its progression, which is basically David takes two steps down and then he takes four steps up in dealing with this fear. Two steps down are basically David's dropping down two levels into fear. And then four steps that he takes to be able to rise out of it. Now again, the context of this psalm is David running from Absalom who wants to imprison David and to take David's kingdom away from him and to make David little. And maybe even to kill his own father. And there are lots of people out there that are hunting David. And David is on the run. And so that brings us kind of to the level one fear that David has. And that is, my enemies are after me. I'm in danger. Now, you might really be able to identify with that. Maybe you've had people trying to do you harm. And maybe you found yourself in a health situation where the disease became an enemy to your well-being. And you found yourself dwelling on the fact that how many are my foes? How many things just seem to be rising up against me? How many negative things I'm having to deal with? How many rise up against me? Not for me, but against me. Which leads to kind of a second level of fear as David expresses it for us, and it's this. It's a second level down. All of these foes, these enemies have risen up against me. I'm in danger, and God may not rescue me in time. Look at verse 2. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Now again, remember the context. David is king and they, that is his fellow Jews, not somebody outside, but the fellow, his fellow Jews are trying to take the kingdom from him. And at the, the tip of that spear is, is not just his, 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 his citizens of Israel, his fellow citizens of Israel, but it's his son. And they're not just attacking David, but, but attacking David's identity. I, identity. And this is, this is not a challenge that's thrown down before God. It's a challenge that's thrown down before David. David, don't you remember King Saul? Do you remember how he sinned and God took the kingdom away from him? You too have sinned and God will not deliver you. Do you remember, David, how God withdrew from Saul because of Saul's great sin? How can you be a king over us? This all happening after Bathsheba and so many other things. David has done terrible things. That affair with Bathsheba, a wife married to one of his mighty men, one of his closest men, and he has this close friend murdered in order to save himself the embarrassment. And he's done terrible things. And David's enemies are wondering, how can a guy like that be a king over them? And, and David is not just under attack physically where he's having to flee the palace and cross the Kidron Valley and go up the Mount of Olives weeping and everybody with him because of what's happening to the kingdom. And David, I think, weeping even more uh, to the point over what's going on with Absalom. So David is not just under attack physically, but also emotionally. He's wondering as he faces his foes if and when God is going to come and deliver him. And so what does that teach us? I mean, that's a good question because many of you are probably saying, you know, well, I'm not exactly, you know, the, the, the leader of a, of a nation and I don't really have any armies chasing me. Why in the world do I need Psalm 3? Well, that's a good question. And let me show you how I think the psalm ministers to us. Here's a scenario. Walking down the street on the sidewalk. It's a boulevard. It's a lovely day. And a car is speeding up behind you 
and you hear it jump the curb, and at the last minute you turn and you see it. And then seeing this car jump the curb and being where it should not be, your heart begins to beat faster, and you focus on the path of the car and realize that at its velocity, you have very little time to get out of its way. And so the adrenaline kicks in, and you jump out of the way, and at the last minute, you're saved as that car plows over where you had just been standing. Now, that initial emotion is going to be that fear. Fear that you were nearly hurt or in danger of being killed. And, and quite frankly, that's a healthy fear. But later on that day, after you get home and you tell your spouse what happened and you recover a little bit, there's this other emotion that sets in. Later in the evening, it begins to dawn on you that you're not bulletproof. It dawns on you that you could have been killed, that you're not immortal that you're vulnerable to speeding cards. There's this abiding sense that your life is fragile. And that had it not been for just paying attention to a sound of a car jumping the curb behind you, you would be in a morgue someplace. And as that begins to dawn on you, there is this sense of the, the fragility of your own life, the fact that you are not immortal, that you, that you are very fragile in this life and that you can die even in an accident and never know what hit you. And that, that growing sense of anxiety is that second level of fear. That anxiety is the feeling of fear that our, ourselves, who we are, is in danger. And this is deeper than the healthy fear that galvanizes our courage and gets something positive done. The emotions of anxiety are a little bit more diffused. They're a little bit vaguer. The healthy fear says that you're about to be hit by a car. You need to jump into action. The other fear is the kind that paralyzes you. It's the kind that paralyzes you. Anxiety is that threat to your sense of self. And that maybe God will not rescue you. And David in this psalm has both of these. He is fearful of people in the army coming after him. And he's fleeing from Jerusalem. He's fleeing the comfort. He's fleeing the familiarity of, of the palace in his home for many years. But at the same time, he's also, you know, if your own son is trying to kill you, how safe are you in the world? And at least, you, you know, in, in this, threat, this threat to his sense of self, you know, God may not come through at the last minute to save him. And at least that's the thing that the rebels are saying to him. God will not deliver him. And because of this, David is down in a pit. So what does the man after God's own heart do about it? Well, he does four things from verse 3 to the very end of the psalm. And, and that word at the beginning of verse 3 is one of the most important words in the entire Bible. It is the word, but... It's the pivot point. It's the pivot point in so many texts. David is saying, I'm scared and I'm frightened and I have all of these worries, but. And when he says that but, he's beginning to turn around. And step one is he begins to follow God in obedience. Verse 3 says, but you are a shield around me. David doesn't say that you are a shield to me or a shield for me, but you're the shield around me. And the reason that is important is because I, I don't, I'm not an expert on shields. But I know that there's at least a couple of different kinds of shields, and they have different uses, and some of them seem... You, you know, I saw... 
many years ago, as, as this young kid, probably in elementary school, I remember seeing the movie Spartacus, and they gave him a shield that looked like it was about the size of a plate. You may remember the movie. He had a sword and he had a shield the size of a plate. And I remember thinking to myself, why have that thing at all? That thing is really not very good protection. But there is a type of shield. It's a small shield that you put on your arm. And it's a shield that protects you, that you protect yourself from, from blows. You're using it to protect yourself from blows with that kind of shield. But that's not the kind of shield that David is talking about. He's talking about, at least according to the commentators, about a shield that is gigantic and, and sort of covers him where he, is, he's, he can get completely behind it. It's the kind of shield that you would use, ironically, as he's fleeing the city. He says, God, you are the shield the kind of shield that you would use if you were going to lay siege to a city. David is saying that he is afraid, but he recognizes that God is that kind of shield for him. So again, what does that mean? It means that David is following God because this kind of shield that he's mentioning is the kind of shield that you only use when you're going forward. He's not saying that God is going to shield him from pain and occasional suffering. What he is saying is that God is going to shield him in the danger. This kind of shield does not work running away or giving up or in, or in disobedience to the commander. It's the same kind of, of admonition that Paul gives at the end of Ephesians of putting on the armor of God. It's a forward-moving armor. It's an armor that covers the front, that protects you as you move forward, but doesn't protect you if you turn and flee. Now listen, what David is saying here is, 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 is discipleship stuff he's saying that when you find yourself in this kind of a situation it's all about the obedience obedience may be difficult but disobedience is lethal think back a couple of weeks ago on a sunday morning when i spoke about christ in the garden of gethsemane and him confronting the cup and jesus is sweating the drops of blood he is feeling anxious about that situation but he will not flee the will of God. And David knows that only good things will happen in his life if he chooses to follow God and not back out or flee or turn his back on God or be disobedient. It is the kind of shield that goes forward into the battle knowing that that's where the protection is. Which leads then to step two, which is, you know, if step one is sort of... You know, I don't want to say suck it up, but that's kind of what it means to galvanize your courage and move forward being obedient to God as difficult as that might be. But then step two is about relocating your glory, which is what the second half of verse 3 says, my glorious one who lifts up my head. David, the, David doesn't say my glorious one unless something else had been his glory or at least there had been the temptation of another glory. And what those might have been could have been any number of things. That I am a popular king. Well, he's not anymore. Or that I'm a good king. That wasn't it either. Or I'm a great father and a great husband. And if you read David's life, that wasn't always the case. At the very minimum, it could have been, I've got the power, I'm king, I've got the power. Not anymore, according to this psalm. If you're beginning to sense that, anx that anxiety 
then you need to check on where you're putting that glory, where you're looking for that glory. And I would bet that you're putting it in something finite rather than the one who is infinite. And what David is doing is following God into where it is that God is going to lead him, knowing that God is that shield around him and that God is, and that David is having to re- relocate the glory that he's seeking into God if he's going to be able to survive the tough times. It's going to be God who is going to lift his head in the suffering. Which leads to probably, I think, one of the most important parts of this entire psalm, which is the third step. It's, it's to see the substitute. How does David know that? How does David know that God is going to lift his head? That God is the lifter of his head? as we just sang in that, in that beautiful song. Thank you, Jeff. He says in verse 4, To the Lord I cry aloud, and He answers me from His holy hill. He answers me from His holy hill. David cries out, and he has confidence that the Lord is going to answer him. How? He looks to the holy hill. Well, what in the world is that all about? Well, The holy hill is the place where the tabernacle is located. It's the place of sacrifice. David knows when he looks at the holy hill and the tabernacle that that is the place where the sins were made, atonement was made for the sins. And David knows that he has to deal with those sins and he knows that that's what happened on on the holy hill. And those sins were dealt with in order for him to have a relationship with God. And the ironic—I don't think I shouldn't say ironic. The, the, the most incredibly curious thing about this song is that is that at the very beginning, when David is writing this, it seems to me that he's probably thinking about Genesis chapter 15, where the same words at the beginning of this psalm show up at the beginning of of, of Genesis 15, where God says at the beginning of that chapter, Abraham, you don't have to be afraid. You know why? Because I'm your shield. And chapter 15 is truly one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible as it looks forward to the entire New Testament. And it's because God is making a covenant with Abraham. And you remember the story. It's a little bit gruesome as, as all of these, you know, a- Abraham just has all of these questions. And, and God says to him, I want you to take these animals and I want you to cut up all of these animals into pieces. And this covenant is made with, with Abraham and the covenant is reinforced and he has this, this vision of this torch that goes up and down between the animals signifying that if God does not fulfill his part of the covenant that this is going to happen to him. It's this, a tremendous chapter. And what God is saying is I will honor this covenant to be your God and for you to be mine even if I have to be cut up. Even if I have to pay the price for your disobedience I will do so. And David grew up on this chapter in studying Torah. And this is one of the ways that David knows that he is loved even in this kind of turmoil. And then there's step four, which is remembering the people. By the time that David understands completely that God is his glorious one, and that it's going to be God that lifts his head up. By this time, he, he gets over the insomnia and he's, he's able to sleep at night. And he knows that he's going to make it through, but it's still not enough, that just being able to sleep at night. 
And in verse 7 he says, Arise, O Lord, deliver me. O my God, strike all of my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on me. Is that what it says? It says, may your blessing be on your people. He is looking for the blessing that comes to the people. And David knows that Absalom is not going to be a very good king. And he begins to do something about it. And one of the things, and, and one of the ways that David deals with this is, is to love someone. In this particular case, he's loving the people. And he's looking for the blessing that comes to the people. John will say, you know, at, at, a, at a much later date, he says that perfect love casts out what? Fear. Part of dealing with the fear that you have is in loving other people. He gets his eyes off of himself. And I can't help but think that, you know, back to the garden. Jesus is sweating the blood because he fears the cup and all that the cup represents. But because he loves you and me, he goes through it. You know, one of the ways that we deal with, with, with our fears is, is to understand that there is that the way that you deal with that fear is not to run away and it's not to back off and it's not to become disobedient it's not to disappear and it's not even to deny it, but it's to go through it with God as your shield. And, and to understand that that, that disobedience, that, that obedience may, may, very, may very well be difficult beyond your imagination, but disobedience is lethal. And to know that God will, is always there for you and that He is the one that is the lifter of your head, even at, you know, at the place, even to, 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 to the death of his, his unique Son. And that when you do that, you realize that everything about you should really be focused on the Lord God Almighty, that you relocate that glory on Him. He is the one. He is the only one. He is the focus in this life. That when He becomes your precious treasure, then there is nothing that can be taken from you that will dismantle you or discombobulate you because you have the very thing, the greatest of all treasure, the most precious thing you have that. He is your glorious one. And not only is He your glorious one, but you're His glorious one as He is willing, even at great cost to Himself, to make sure that that relationship is, is solidified in covenant with Him. And that, in turn, leads us to not become you know, navel-gazers and to be so focused on what it is that's happening in our life that knowing that, that God is our shield even in the middle of this adversity and that He is our glory and that He's making us beautiful in Christ, that we can turn ourselves and, and, and not be hidden and not camouflage ourselves so that we're, we're, we're immune or that we're protected from any kind of adverse thing happening in this life, but we can actually go into the fray itself and minister to other people and know that there's a blessing that comes into the world because you love because you love rather than fear. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. And I know, you know, it's a long of an end, uh, it's the end of a long day. But at the end of the long day, one of the things that I like to do is to think about that day. And, and to think about the things that I've experienced, the things that I've said, the things that have been said to me, the things that we've studied and prayed about, the things, especially on a Sunday, that, that we have praised God about the words of the songs.
is one of the, the hymns of your life, this song. Oh Lord, you're a shield around me. You're the lifter of my head. Hallelujah. You're the lifter of my head. I don't know what it is that you might be going through right now, but maybe it's some pretty terrible things. And maybe what you need right now are the prayers of the church to help you relocate your focus and redirect your gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Psalm 27, in the day of trouble, when men seek to devour you. Those fears can be a terrible thing. And maybe that is the greatest blessing that you can have tonight, is to have your spirit regalvanized, your, your courage to go forward, to follow God as your shield into the fray. It's the greatest blessing that you can have tonight, to feel the strength of God in your life. That's an easy thing to do during the singing of this song. Come down and talk to our shepherds. Or it may be that at the end of this day, after you've been reflective and, and contemplative about your life, what you see is that there are a tremendous amount of fears and there's a tremendous amount of anxieties and you don't feel very protected. You don't feel protected at all. And you know that there are a lot of things that you thought were pretty important in your life and they were what you got your glory from. They're what made you a person. They're where you got your sense of self. They were the things that were your glory. They were the things that you were proud of. And now those things have been taken away from you. And there's nothing, there's nothing left except that anxiety, that vague, diffused feeling of emptiness. You know what I want you to do? I want you to see the substitute. What it is that happens on that holy hill is the taking away of everything that is lethal and toxic to you. God takes that away from you in His Son Christ. That's the substitute. That's the thing that David, that David through inspiration, looks forward and sees. That, that God is going to be faithful to him because he is a son. The way that God is saying, through my son, become my son, become my daughter, and, and, and have this kind of relationship and every blessing that entails. And you know what happens is there's a lot of things that happen in your life when, when you repent of that old life and choose this new one in which in that confession you're saying, God is now my king, God is now my, my glorious one. And your sins are washed away because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And now you're freed up from those anxiety and fears in such a way that you can serve other people and bring blessing to other people in the name of Jesus. Again, the shepherds are going to be down here at the front. If it's time for you to get right with God by going to Him through Jesus, then the time to do so is tonight. And we're going to ask you to do that right now as we stand and sing together. Ball.